Paul was a key architect of the early church. Today's scripture lesson is a letter from Paul that he sent to the church in Corinth. The letter conveys Paul's affection for and confidence in the people of Corinth, and it hints at a summons to hear God's call. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and in knowledge of every kind. Just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The men caught a hole in the ceiling. They couldn't wait any longer. They had been meeting in a startup church over in the Brookside Hall since January of 1921. A few months after that, they had purchased this land and broken ground here. And a year and a half after that, they moved into the first building, which turned out to be the center section of our church now, adjacent to the sanctuary. And when they came into that building, somebody said, well, it feels like the loft of a barn. It was just, it was just one big room. And in that one big room, they had both worship, and then they put up some canvas curtains, and they had Sunday school in there, dividing up the different groups. And you can imagine the noise and the chaos and so to escape all that noise and chaos, the men cut a hole in the ceiling and they erected a little staircase so that they go up there into the unfinished second floor where they put up a few boards and brought in a little heater, a little gas stove, so finally the men could gather together for prayer and study and fellowship in their new church. Their tenacity and their creativity bore witness to the strength and the vision of the congregation that would emerge right here. Now, when I hear this story, I must join Paul the Apostle, who said to the church that he founded in Corinth the words that we just heard read from the opening verses of Corinthians. I give thanks to God always because of the grace of God given you in Jesus Christ. Paul's letter to the Corinthians gives us a peek into the one of the first churches ever formed. Paul begins the letter with praise and with gratitude for these church folk who he calls the saints. Paul never calls an individual person a saint. He only uses this word in the plural because for him, saints are the gathered people of God, key players in God's grand story of love and grace unfolding here on this planet, Earth. Paul then rejoices and marvels over the many ways that God's grace 
has already shown up in this little infant church in Corinth. Just a few years into this church game, they have already been enriched and strengthened and enjoyed fellowship with Christ and experienced an abundance of spiritual gifts. Today, in that spirit, I join Paul in rejoicing over the many ways this church, right here, has revealed God's love and grace. You are the saints. In the early days, you sent missionaries off to China and many other places. Here locally, you have tutored in our public schools, served hot plates of food to the homeless, and provided housing for our most vulnerable neighbors. Just for example, over the past 10 years, you have invested $2.8 million in local and international missions. Under the leadership of Doug Duell, Bob Cuny, Glenn Miles, you sent delegations to 10 different countries to serve in God's name to places like South Africa and Nicaragua and India, and you sent dozens of additional delegations to serve across this land in places where disaster relief was taking place. I remember a few years ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago now, I was traveling with a mission trip to Honduras. A team from this church had set up a makeshift medical clinic in a rural area in Honduras. Some of the patients who came to the clinic were so poor that they could not afford the 50-cent fee that our co-workers in mission required them to pay to see the doctor. And so instead of bringing coins, they brought pineapples to pay the doctors. One young mother got in line to see the dentist because she was in such severe pain and had such advanced infection that she needed to have multiple teeth extracted. As this particular young mom waited in line to see the dentist, I heard the community talking, and I understood that she had HIV. She was HIV positive. I called the medical team into the back room, a tiny little makeshift place, and I said, this, my friends, is too dangerous. I cannot allow you to do this. I was clearly firm with them. Some of these folks on the team were not even medically trained. They were just church folk who cared passionately about sharing the tender love and mercy of God with people who were trapped in a lifetime of poverty. I said, you can't put your hands in someone's mouth and risk your own lives. I forbid it. They looked at each other. They looked at me. They said, we're going to do this. We've discussed it, and we know that we can do it safely using the primitive sterilization process that is available to us in this little rural clinic. At that moment, I glimpsed God. Another hole in the ceiling was punched. And like Paul, I said, I give thanks to God always because of the grace of God given you in Jesus Christ. You have been the saints, not only on the mission field, but in caring for one another in this sacred fellowship that we share. In the early days of the congregation, there was a 
pastoral visitation program that was begun, and that grew into a pastoral care and counseling program and Stephen ministry. And many who are in the hearing of my voice this morning could tell a story about how Dr. George Gordon offered life-saving ministry. And the members of the congregation reached out to one another during times of crisis, times of crisis named divorce and cancer and addiction and depression and other spiritual crises. Now, pastoral confidentiality prevents me from sharing a detailed story about this. But I can tell you that numerous times over the course of our first hundred years, a church member called another church member in the middle of the night in tears and desperation and said, I need help. And in that moment, the church member turned on the light, jumped up, and ran to help a fellow traveler on this journey make it through the night. Maybe you were the one that called or maybe you were the one who answered the phone. Either way, I know that in that moment, the living God was glimpsed. And with Paul, I say to all of you who are the saints, I give thanks to God always because of the grace given to you in Jesus Christ. You have also been the saints in teaching one another and strengthening one another in the path of faithfulness to God. Who knows how many Bible studies have taken place here over a hundred years? How many guest speakers? How many Sunday school classes and groups? All of these groups gathering together, not only to learn, but in fellowship and friendship. When our church was only about 50 years old, Doris and Jerry Thompson began a tradition of taking church members to a week-long camp in Estes Park, Colorado. John Young carried on that tradition of family camp, now called Christian Community Camp, and thousands of the saints have formed life-changing relationships in the Rocky Mountain National Park hiking trails. The first time I went to this camp as the camp leader, there was a young newlywed couple who was along with us at the camp, and they came back a few years later, now with their toddler son and their toddler daughter, and Together, we placed all those little toddlers on our backpacks. They were big, heavy things in that day, not the cool things they have now. And we would just take off on those hiking trails. Well, when the toddler daughter became a teenager, she chose to do something that I don't think had ever happened, nor has happened since, at Christian community camp. She wanted to get baptized there among the saints in Colorado. There was not a dry eye at Lake Estes on the day that we lowered Lucy into the chilly waters and raised her up to walk in new ways with Christ. We wept, not only because we loved Lucy, but because so many of us had also glimpsed the living God at that camp and found our lives born anew there. Remembering that large family of friendships formed in the Rocky Mountains compels me to say again, I give thanks to God always because of the grace of God given you 
in Jesus Christ. You know, the saints gathered here for approximately 10,000 worship services in our first 100 years. Many of us came into this room on the happiest day of our life. Our wedding day, or the day that we brought a newborn to be blessed and dedicated. And many of us gathered here on the worst day of our life, the day that we buried a spouse or a child or a friend. At pivotal moments on this planet, the doors of the sanctuary were opened wide. When World War II ended, the church bells rang for 45 minutes. When Kennedy was assassinated, the bells tolled 10 times, marking 10 one-hour worship services on the National Day of Mourning. When the Twin Towers fell on 9-11, we gathered here in this space to mourn and seek hope. When a white supremacist murdered church members during a Bible study at a church in Charleston, we gathered in the chapel to protest and pray and plead with God to create a world that was more peaceful and loving. For these sacred moments, I repeat with Paul, I give thanks to God always for the grace of God alive in you because of Jesus Christ. Now, after all this praise and gratitude at the beginning of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul rolls up his sleeves and goes right into chapter after chapter after chapter of critiquing the Corinthian church. He points out their divisiveness, their moral failures, and their lack of hospitality. Frankly, they are inept at faithfulness. But we didn't read that part this morning. We didn't need to, because we know ourselves that the church has also failed. We have quarreled about the placement of the sanctuary furnishings and the practice of managing the church finances and the theology of who is in and who is out. The church throughout its history, our 100-year history and the 2,000-year history, is riddled with problems. There is no denying it. Some of us have felt its sting. Paul writes that the church does not survive or thrive on its own initiative. Rather, he describes the movement of God among the people. The people never volunteered to be the church. God called them. The people did not get their act together. God enriched them. They struck out at faithfulness and kindness, and yet God strengthened them. Their hope waned, and God revealed to them a promising future. They are overflowing with strength, not due to their own brilliance and their own accomplishments, but only due to God's grace. Paul is not thanking the people. Paul is thanking God for being alive among the people. In 1988, a major building renovation was nearing completion. The final step was to carpet the social hall, which is right beneath us. But when they pulled up the subfloor directly beneath this sanctuary, they found that the pillars holding up the building were corroded and in danger of collapse. 
I remember some building folks came out, engineers, inspectors, people wearing hard hats, probably from the city and from the contractor, and they told the senior minister at that time, Dr. Bryce, that there would absolutely be no worship service in this sanctuary come Sunday. It would be far too dangerous. And Dr. Bryce told them they'd better fix it before Sunday. And they did. Because he knew that bricks and mortar did not hold up the church. And people did not hold up the church. The church is God's doing. God's initiative, a gift we have received, grace upon grace. Today, we launch the next 100. And if we are going to have to go forward, someone is going to need to cut a hole in the ceiling, not so that we can celebrate our own tenacity, so that we can remember that God's holy and lavish gifts of grace empower us into the future.